Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to the conversation at the JU Israel Teachers Lounge. I am here, I'm Michael Alterberg, I always forget my name. And I am here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? It is awesome. That's good. Hanukkah, man. Hanukkah's coming. It's coming, it's coming. It's not here yet, but it's it's close. Um, it's in the air, the Sufganiyal. And we are joined this week by a new guest from here. And we're recording, actually, Alan got coffee for himself, but he didn't get me any coffee. <laughs> because we're recording from the office, not from a coffee shop. And we are here with a new guest, Aaron. How's it going? It's going good. Pleasure to be here. And uh, can you explain what it is you do here at Jerusalem U? For sure. I'm the assistant to the creative director. All right. That's, I don't know what that is, but it sounds very important. You must be an important person. He's very creative. But I just want to make a comment about the coffee thing. I've never seen my club coffee make himself coffee, only a coffee in a coffee shop. So, You know why? Because I don't want to have to wash the, the, <laughs> the office mugs. You don't have to here. They have someone come in at night and washes them. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I have now a new lease on coffee. Uh, okay. Well, today's topic really has to do with, and I, and I, I hope that um, European listeners are, are interested, but today we're going to focus on the new administration and possible shifts in policy that come from its relationship to Israel. Alan, you suggested the topic. What did, what did, you, what did you want to talk about? So well, there's two real major shifts that seem on the table now that are, are happening. They're interrelated, of course, um, in terms of the new um, president-elect Trump administration, um, which is, one, uh, where the American embassy is located and should be located and potentially will be located, um, and two, the president-elect um, chose David Friedman, uh, a lawyer in America who is um, very uh, connected to Israel's, um, you could say, right-wing politically and settlement movement, um, officially connected to the settlement movement um, through the Beit El settlement and his you know, being on the board and, and being very involved there, and what that would do. So those two are interrelated and are, at least in the Israel world, you know, they're making some news outside of the Israel world, you could say, Israel news world, but it's certainly making big news in the Israel news world. When I say Israel news, I mean like people who are following uh, Israel, as opposed to you may, you know, you may find it on the front pages a little bit of the newspapers, but it's I find often in the big world, it's getting subsumed very quickly of every new appointment and every new idea that's coming out. Well, if Israel's not a priority to you, it's really you – I, I don't see why these issues would be at the top right. of, let's say, the Washington Post or something right. like that. The, the only reason is, as in a, is, is the new administration going to make a serious pivot in, in the Middle East and what that pivot's going to be? So that's why it would be as part of that. Now, before we get deep into the subject, I have to ask you, Aaron, as a Brit, do you care? Um, I care definitely as a Jew. As a Brit, um, I'm not sure I do care. I think that the main concern will be the the question for a Brit will be will this will Trump administration how will that affect the U.S. U.K. alliance, which is obviously very strong. Will this affect the U.K. U.S. alliance? I, I'm not sure. Will this decision concerning Israel? But because you're a Jew who lives in Israel, you you are still concerned from that aspect of your... I'm very concerned. And I think it's interesting to note that right now there's the U.S., the president, the House and the Senate, all Republican, 
which may trigger, oh, that's good for Israel. Except the last time this happened was 2005, 2006, which were not necessarily good years for Israel, Gush Katif, Lebanon war. So it's interesting to see, and I'm definitely watching carefully as a Jew living in Israel. Yeah, well, I do think that when we talk about policy, let's, let's stick to U.S. for the moment, but I think it really applies to Israel's relationship to any country. So I, I really think about it on two levels. One is the diplomatic level. What are the, how, what are the conversations the leaders are having? How are leaders in other countries talking about Israel? How are the diplomats getting along? And then there's the functional level, like um, how are the intelligence agencies working together? How are the, uh, you know, how is the Pentagon working with the IDF? Functional questions like that are usually not dependent on what's going on diplomatically, which is why I think your point is interesting that we think of the Bush administration as being very pro-Israel in terms of rhetoric, and yet things that Israel went through a lot of very difficult times. So it, it, it's complicated. And here we have, we have a really – we're used to people in, in, the, in American administrations really leaning towards what we in Israel would say is the left of our political spectrum. Even the Bush administration favored policies that favored the center left in Israel. The Bush administration did not favor right-wing political parties in Israel or their policies. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's also fair to say, uh, certainly historically, I mean, the American, you know, mainstream politics was for a two-state solution before Israeli mainstream politics was ready for a two-state solution, you know. I mean, um, so I think that's uh, very fair. It's, all, it's sort of always been that way, I think. Yeah, uh, the, the distance between George H.W. Bush and Israeli politics is different than the one from George right. W. Bush. But George W. Bush was still yeah. pushing for, and, and in his last year in office, in 2007, he said he'd have a peace deal signed for a two-state solution by the time he left. Yeah. But, uh, so it's certainly, I would say, center-left. Here you have an ambassador who's clearly pretty far to the right in Israeli politics. My question is, does that matter And for any reason for... Does the ambassador's political opinion matter? So, again, there's like two – I think there's two different levels that we have to think about it on. Like how much does an ambassador affect actual foreign policy um, in an administration? Or is it just sort of a leftover um, a dipl diplomatic world that comes from an earlier world that doesn't really fit in this world? And it's a nice position to give someone you like and – they're there. Well, you're, you're questioning the whole position yeah, of ambassador yeah. in general. In other words, in a world of, of email and Skype, why do we even need ambassadors? You can talk directly yeah. to the people. Right. And so, therefore, how much effect do they actually have on any kind of real, any kind of real policy? So, in that sense, on a, on the second level, though, you know, symbols are really important, and per, and people's perception is very important, especially in the Middle East, especially in a place where that can perception can you know can start a firestorm. You know, on one level, or create a, a, a peace storm on another level. Perceptions of how people see things, and and people in positions who say things um, affect those perceptions and those symbols. And symbols are very, very big here. And that's how it gets us to the embassy. Symbols are very, very, very um, important in Jerusalem, and the and the tension that goes uh, in Jerusalem between the Palestinian and the Israeli side. So, so you're switching to the embassy question. The, we, can these not be separated, the ambassador question and the capital question? Um, 
I think it's hard to separate them now because it's, you know, uh, you, know you, you have those st statements coming one off the other. We're going to move the embassy, and then you bring a, uh, in an ambassador who his first public statement about accepting the, the appointment was, and I hope to be working from, you know, my embassy in Jerusalem. <laughs> Well, but that was, to, to a certain extent, I could say that that undermines the point that ambassadors matter. In other words, as the ambassador, the first thing, his first statement is, my job is to execute the policies of the administration. It's not that he matters. For, do you get what I'm saying? In other words, that's what, that's what the president-elect yeah, promised yeah, to do. Yeah, of course I get what you're saying, but I'm still saying that, the, but that those, two, those two are integral, the embassy and the, and the ambassador, at least at this point. Um, the moving the embassy, if you make a move, that I, I wouldn't separate them so much. And I think the bigger question is really the, the, the embassy, um, really the embassy and what's going to happen to that, because that is a huge symbol. So let's move away from the ambassador. I will just add that, that to me. I think we can come back to it. But. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I want to I turn the focus to the embassy question. Yeah. Before I do, though, I just want to say that to me, I – I, I, the only question I think I think more relevant than the politics question is the is the diplomatic personality, and if there you know there are reports of him referring to Jews who he disagrees with politically as capos, which were Jews who collaborated with Nazis. So that now obviously he didn't mean that. I assume you don't assume that. You're not seeing Alan's face. Anymore. Okay, I, you I, can't. I the way, the way, unfortunately. In Israel, we talk, and it's not just America, but in Israel that we talk and with the language that we use, um, unfortunately, I think people really do mean the things they say when they say those extreme things, unfortunately. Well, what I guess what I'm saying is I think that, that I would hope that as a diplomat, diplomats don't get to do that. They don't get to use exaggeration to friend, vent their spleen. My friend, you're living in a pre-November uh, 2016 election world. I think that we see that. I think we're going to see a change. I think we see a change in that, and we will see a change in that in this administration about what people in positions of power say and can or cannot say. Uh, yeah, I yeah. Well, I I think that's inherently problematic because yeah. the world of diplomacy is a world of mm -hmm. of politeness and walking on eggshells, of civility, and of moderation and communication. So that that does trouble me more than any political. Again, and it's it's basically an obsolete position. It's you go to parties to keep nice friendly symbol, symbolic relationship, you're basically executing decisions made elsewhere or communicating decisions made elsewhere. You don't really have power, which is why traditionally people are complaining, oh, Trump's giving ambassadorships to people who he owes favors to. That's what ambassadors always were. They're not, they're not really, they've never been key positions. So the question of the, the symbolism. But here, here you have, a, here you have a position where the ambassador um, has a very distinct political position, which is different than the positions of American governments for the last, you know, couple decades at least vis-a-vis -vis Israel. Right, so, but that's but if the but if the government is changing position, then their ambassador, that's fair play. Whether you know, uh, whether people who agree or disagree like it or don't like it, um, the question of moving the embassy. I assume the UK does. I don't, never really looked for where. Great Britain has its embassy, but it, there are almost no countries. No. Zero? Zero. I thought uh, somebody did. The last ones to move out. The last ones to move out were El Salvador and one other oh. country that moved out in 2006. Oh, I, I mean, it used to be there were. I think there were there were a whole bunch, um, and 
then that changed and everybody started moving out as the as it became more and more contentious really f since 1980 when Israel made the basic law of Jerusalem the united both the east and west Jerusalem as Israel's capital explain the basic law so basically Israel we go back and I don't want to do too much history so stop me if I get too into the nitty-gritties but from the foundation of the state of Israel Israel named as its capital the the city of Jerusalem in that period, the city of Jerusalem was a very small western half, uh, western part of Jerusalem. Um, the rest was was occupied by Jordan um, and uh, and annexed to the the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan. In 1967, when Israel um, captured uh, the West Bank um, from Jordan, they expounded the municipal boundaries of Jerusalem to include East Jerusalem, North, South, all kinds of different neighborhoods in Jerusalem. And and very much expanded it. And then in 1980, passed what was called the Basic Law, which is that Jerusalem, that united, this municipally boundaries of Jerusalem, united is Israel's, is Israel's capital. That had a counter, that came a counter um, uh, resolution in, in the UN, which basically said that's illegal. It goes against international law. And from that time, countries have slowly moved out. The countries that did have their embassies in Jerusalem slowly moved their their embassies out and uh, most to Tel Aviv and the last ones I said I believe were in 2006. Now we have consulates in Jerusalem. Yeah. Different countries have consulates here which is like a representation of the country but that's different than an embassy. Yeah. How is that different than an embassy? So, so the embassy is the you could say the main branch representative of the government in 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 the country that they are. The consulate services lesser needs, citizens who need or non citizen American citizens who need things and don't want to travel to that faraway place. Israel's a small country, but in other countries it can be very far from one to another. So they they have needs that they service their citizens or. Um, uh, citizens of that country who need things from the American government or their government, the UK or what have you, they want to or they want a visa to go to America, so they don't have to travel all the way to that other other city. Um, interestingly enough, it, it, for in, in terms of Israel, in 1995, I think it was the Congress um, passed a law saying that that uh, the American embassy had to move to uh, Jerusalem. And that according to the United States legislature, Jerusalem is recognized as the capital of the state of Israel. Correct. Um, but the problem is is that the, every president since then has contested that law because they said that it's, it's interfering with um, foreign policy, and that is purely the, the responsibility of the president and administration. Well, and, they say that once they take office. When they're running for office, they say they're going to move exactly. it. <laughs> but the Supreme Court, and that, that was passed during Clinton's time, and the Supreme Court... Um, held, basically held that up and said the purview of, of foreign policy is the president. So it's basically been stuck in that, and every president pushes it off um, to make you know a very complicated story, a legal story, and this and that. Um, they push it off because they say basically it's a it's a it's a diplomatic issue, it's a foreign policy issue. And well, uh, constitutionally, the legislature has no power over the State Department. The, that's the executive branch of government, and so that law made by the legislature has no bearing on what the State Department decides to do. Right. So there. So therefore, uh, it's been a it's been a contested, uh, you know, issue certainly in terms of uh, of Israel. Like who? Because Israel's the only country, as I'm aware of, in the world that um, that the uh, the other countries who are in uh, right in agreement with them and are out whatever you know have embassies and stuff don't agree to 
um, the the um, position of the country that they're in. I said that in a very complicated way, didn't I? Maybe. No, but it's a funny thing. In other words, what makes it a capital? That I say it's the capital or that all the other nations have their embassies here? Or recognize that it's a capital. Right. Or so, others going to recognize the capital. But I would argue that's a little bit like a country. Like what makes a country a country is that everybody else recognizes that you're a country. Um, and that's why you get to be a country. And then they say, okay, you're a country, so we'll trade with you. We'll make deals with you. We'll give arms to you. Well, well that's what you. makes Israel a country as opposed exactly. to like ISIS. ISIS or something like that, which is not a recognized country, even though they say they are. Yeah. But, then, but then if you apply that rule to a capital. Yeah, but why not? So, I mean, it goes without going. We, we recognize you as a capital, but I'm sorry, as a country. But we have a problem with your definition of your capital because we see that's land in contention, which is basically what the world is really, really saying. They're saying, and because they're, basically they're ba- going way back even to the British Mandate, where they say that it, Jerusalem was always meant to be an internationally um, zone in this area because of the importance of it to human history, to th- three religions, this and that, um, and therefore. We're not going to, rec- you know, we're not going to recognize it either in Jordan. When Jordan annexed their part of it in from in 1949 to 1967, the world did not recognize that. Well, um, I, I find so. it mind-boggling for a few reasons that that's the case, uh, and I'm not sure that's really what it is. And I'll tell you what I think it might really be in a minute. But I find it mind-boggling for the reason that that's very interesting that it's important to world culture, as is Rome. But nobody contests that that's. That should be, you know, the capital of Italy or London is, you know, there, there are many cities that have relevance to world culture. Athens certainly does, but nobody says, well, that, but that's going to be an international city. On a national level, we can't take that away from the Greeks. That's insane. The fact that it's relevant to different religions, well, is also part of what makes Jerusalem a world cultural center. But there's only one nation in the history of planet Earth that has made the Jerusalem the capital of their government, of their national government of their state and that's the jews so the fact that we're even having this conversation to me is a mind-boggling and that's only exacerbated by the fact that the israelis are not asking to put it into contested east jerusalem they're asking for the embassy to be in west jerusalem which has been which has been the capital of israel Forever. Embassies. But that's part of the discussion. That's part of the discussion now. People are saying, well, they could put it in West Jerusalem that Israel has basically three – America basically has three consulate um, branches in in Jerusalem. One in definitely East Jerusalem, one definitely in West Jerusalem, and one in no man's land. Yeah. Uh, three building sites. That, and they all do different things. That's so, the one I go to for like my passports. The no man's land you go yeah, to. Yeah, the no man's land. We go to no man's <laughs> land because the West Jerusalem one is only closed. That's where actually the consul of Jerusalem – this is something I actually just learned, which I didn't know. There is a consul of Jerusalem that began – from America – that began its stint in 1844. Mm. And it's separate from the diplomatic mission. Right. And they have a different status where they are the consul of Jerusalem. And that goes back to what you were that's saying a little bit. That's the one across from the, the from the Gan Ha'atzma'ut? It's on Agron, yeah. yeah. Across from Gan Ha'atzma'ut. It's on Agron Street, and which is funny. And, I mean, I, it makes me think, you know, again, of, of my children's, both of my children's um, uh, birth certificates, American birth certificates. They were born in Israel. They're Israeli, but they're also Americans because we're Americans. And both of their birth certificates say born in Jerusalem without a country. And the place that they were born in, my, my son was born in West Jerusalem in, in Katamon. Uh, and my daughter was born in the enclave of Hartzofim, 
um, which was in Israel. You know, it's okay. Maybe you want to argue about the heart Sophie, but certainly my son in West Jerusalem. But America still says Jerusalem because of exactly what Mike was saying before about the State Department has its own definition is not bound by Congress to decide. And that was uh, even more recently decided yeah. by the Supreme Challenge in the Supreme Court by uh, the Zivotofsky family, whose son was in exactly that scenario, and they sued. The United States State Department went to uh, the Supreme Court, who said the, Supreme, the State Department gets to make those decisions. They don't officially recognize West Jerusalem as being Israel. So on your American passports, says place of birth Jerusalem with no country. Right. The United States State Department isn't really recognizing Jerusalem as Israel. Uh, any part of Forget Jerusalem. the capital. Any part of Jerusalem. Alan, just to go back to something you said before. You said the reason that there are no embassies in Jerusalem is effectively a peace reason. They think the fact that Israel named the whole of Jerusalem their capital was against peace. So I saw a quote from the next ambassador who said this will actually help peace. What does that mean? Okay, so that's a good question. Making Michael throw into the I didn't actually say I don't I don't think necessarily peace. It wasn't for peace, but it was for if they thought that was illegal internationally. It was an, illegal for Israel to expand the borders and this united Jerusalem. That's what they were saying. Um, I don't know if peace or not peace, but uh, so again, it, it all these things always depend on a little bit on your agenda. So for those who are really committed and believe that um, in, in the two-state paradigm, which is the paradigm um, that's gone on for 80 years now, right? If that's how to solve this to divide the land between Palestinians and Israelis, they think this move will be terrible and will bring potentially a apocalypse. Why do you say the two-state paradigm is the paradigm for 80 years if Oslo was in the 90s, which is less than 30 years ago? Because the two-state paradigm begins in 1937 with the Peel Commission when um, the British, thank you, Aaron, My pleasure. Um, <laughs> the British uh, were trying to solve the problem, the tensions that already had arisen in that time period. It's again in 1947 when the UN tries to solve it. Um, and then again, we see it in, in Oslo. So it's really been a paradigm that we've been discussing for 80 years and has not and has not worked um, for all those different various reasons that uh, we can talk about another time. Do you think it's that many different reasons? Um, uh, I think there's pretty one I, central I, reason. Uh, I think the, Arabs, the Arabs don't accept it. it. Yeah. And right. continue. To reject it. Yeah. I mean, I pretty much agree. Try, it may have been too, too politically. I think you're being very diplomatic, <laughs> but, but let's be honest. The Jews accepted it in 37, 47, pushed for it through Oslo, offered it in 2000 officially, offered it in 2008 officially. And it's the Arabs who reject the, the right of a Jewish state to exist. Right. Essentially, that's the cause. Right. So therefore, so the people, but the people who are still pushing this uh, paradigm of two-state solution and see that this is the only solution, th think that this is going to be ap apocalyptic to move the embassy and the new ambassador. On the other hand, you know, because they can't get out of the fact that Donald Trump was elected to bring in change, not just change locally, change in, in, in many things. The Obama administration has been a a catastrophic for the Middle East in terms of their foreign policy. So he's coming in to change foreign policy. So nobody really knows what it would be. Maybe, maybe there are those who on the on the right who say, no, this is exactly what they need. That We need a strong stance that the Arabs will understand the position and that they have to make uh, and they have to make a deal. Um, and this, this will actually push a, 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 some kind of deal through even better. Um, that, that's the case he's making. Look, I, I would argue that, a, that an organization like the State Department or whatever equivalent that would be in any other nation, part of their job is to make sure that there's stability around the world. And the real reason they don't want to have an embassy in Jerusalem is it would inflame sensibilities, certainly among Palestinians, but really in a lot of other countries. 
And so as the guys whose job it is to keep people calm and happy and everybody get along, you know, and cheerfully and singing Kumbaya, it is not in the advantage, it is not to the advantage of the State Department to move it. So I, I don't really think it has to do with going back to the 1940s. I think it just, we are always moving toward, our job is to keep stability, status quo, quiet. You know, I don't enjoy quoting Bill Cosby as much as I used to, but he has that line about parents. Parents don't care about justice. They just want quiet. And to a certain extent, I think that's true in diplomacy as well. It's not a question of right or wrong. It's a question of quiet. So I want to add another layer to it, I think. And uh, so something that Michael said to me, said you said before, and uh, and it sort of sparked in my mind because we talk about this a lot, that, that Jerusalem... Mind spark. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> that Jerusalem is uh, the only, there's only one people that ever had Jerusalem as its capital of its nation, um, which, of course, we teach in the course, and that's, uh, that's a fundamental for us, of course. But um, if, if one can say we successfully have convinced most of the world of our rights to have a country here, as much as we call by the feedback and we're scared, you know, we're part of the UN. Most countries around the world recognize our existence and the rights for us to be here. We have not successfully done that with our capital. That we have not we have not made that argument well enough. That this is our capital because we have rights to because this has always been our political capital. Yeah, I, I don't think we have made that argument well. I remember Elie Wiesel taking out advertisements in the New York Times, and I think that part of the reason we, of course, I have my pet theory of why, and and I think it's reflected in the course. Even though what do we know? This is just a teacher's lunch, but we get to save the world from in here. Uh, I think the reason why is we we continuously blend religion and nationality instead of separating it and saying, look, I understand that Jerusalem on a religious level is holy to different to the Abrahamic monotheistic faiths. That's fine. Although it's only central to Judaism. Only the Jews have a say, saying that says, if I forget the O Jerusalem, that's only the Jews. But leave that to the side. I don't care how important it is to your religion. I don't care how important it is to my religion. Capitals are not religious institutions. They're national centers of government. It's where the seat of power of that nation state lives. There was, never was a Muslim or Christian national capital because those are religions. And, and the Jews as a nation in Judea, in Israel, founded their capital here. David founded it here 3,000 years ago. That's the issue. And we're not articulating that about Israel. People still can blend those, and it, and it diffuses the force of the argument. That's my pet theory. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's how we, we, we teach in the course. But, uh, and we've not, I mean, I, I think part of that is that most people are confused about also Jews. Yeah. And therefore, we've not made that case to the, to the world. And, and, of course, it's, it's this other layer of, okay, well, that's Israeli. Now there's Israeli, now there's Jew. Is the diaspora Jew? How do all those different pieces meld together? I can't, there's a part of me that wishes they had named this new country Judea mm-hmm. instead of Israel because that's what makes it confusing. If they had named it Judea, we are re- the question was, do we name it what it was when it was closed by the Romans or when it was opened by Joshua? You know, a, a, yeah, but the Zionists were clearly doing it. The Zionists were clearly um, making a decision, those secular Zionists. We're going clear just to go back to like pre-Roman times yeah. to go back to because they were trying to make this new Jew. So they wanted to dis, di, like to make that 
break with Judeans and Judea and you know, even though there's a new importance of Jerusalem, and we're, we're Israel, we're those tribes, you know, the ten tribes almost that, that were lost. I think so. I mean, I mean to me, I, I think obviously you're right, but, it, but, it, but I, there's a part of me that thinks it would have been clearer had they named the country Judea. No, I'm not disagreeing. I'm not disagreeing, yeah. Right. That being the case, it still falls upon us to articulate the national idea of Israel more clearly to ourselves in order to explain it to others. That's what... Right. That's what we think. So uh, we are very happy to have received feedback from listeners, and we are planning future co- podcasts based on those conversations and requests and, and issues. Uh, we'll be getting to them, and we will mention you by name when we do a podcast. And look for next week's special Hanukkah edition. Special Hanukkah edition. Do you, if, you like, if you download it, does a Sufganiya automatically, like, land in your in your ear pods i guess that would be gross so let's not do that we were looking into technological ways to do that but maybe we should but by yourself it could be a latka but we'd prefer if you ate a sufganiya while listening to next week's episode but we're not judging a little bit uh, to the latka alan leans latka interesting salty over sweet for me yeah, yeah, but I'm thinking like more Israeli over yeah, yeah. shtetl. I know, I know. <laughs> you know, but I, I'm really a shtetl yid in the end of the day. The truth is, I just, you know, had the good fortune of being born in the 20th century when there was an Israel. So the episode after the Hanukkah episode is going to be Alan back to the shtetl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's true. I will be back in the shtetl. I'll be in Poland. Oh, so we may have to miss that week. Okay, but we have all sorts of things, interesting things coming up in the pipeline. I don't want to give away too much, but a lot of special episodes. Uh, over the next several months. So please, the best thing you can do is give us feedback with your questions and comments and suggestions. We love it. And you will get specific responses from us. But also, if you could recommend us to other people and spread the word and become part of a bigger conversation, that would also be great. Um, So thanks so much, Aaron. My pleasure. It's uh, very interesting to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed And uh, we look forward to our special Hanukkah episode coming up next week. Bye-bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye, Sukhaniyot. Bye, Lachis. It's like a Jewish goodnight movie.